1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. And we are back to following live tennis Mm
0: -hmm. in
1: real time. We paused for a moment, gave you a mailbag, gave you a chance to do some of the work for us. Thank you so much. But the American hardcore season is starting up and, you know, we've got to keep up. This is the greatest road trip in a sport. Who said that? Remember that? (laughs) <laughs> Do you Rafa remember said that, that? that 2007 U.S. Open Series blooper reel? You're asking me to go back no, no, it's, 15 years. It always circulates on Twitter. I don't know how I missed that. The greatest road trip in, in sports. In tennis? Or in, so I can't remember. Oh. But Rafa had such a hard time. Poor thing.
0: Well, you said that we're back to following live tennis and where we got started with a bang with Venus Williams back on tour.
1: Yeah, the Williams sisters have have been all about the the shock factor I mean, during grass, during hard courts. They just sort of appear and wild cards appear with them.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh you know that Serena is tethered to Beyonce ever since that sorry video. Yeah. and lemonade. And these two women just cause all the conversation in tennis. <laughs> Like the, yes. the the decibel level in tennis is so much louder and for the better when they're playing.
1: Yeah, and this, you know, this is probably like an Anglo-American bias. It's probably a Western bias because of what we consume, what our timelines look like, but it does it just feels like the it factor, like the X factor of tennis is just dialed up when Venus and Serena are around. These are all-time greats of the game, Mm -hmm. so it
0: necessitates that response. Before we get into Venus, the structure of this episode is going to be, in effect, a Hardcourt season preview
1: episode. Um, We'll take you on a little bit of a journey. I realize the Hardcourt season has already started, so we'll talk a little about the matches that have happened in DC and San Jose and elsewhere, but... We're looking at what are the main storylines going into the North American hardcourt swing, which is now only like a month and a half long. Mm -hmm. And this hardcourt swing
0: is the direct lead up to the final major of the year in the U.S. Open. So before we get into this, let's have a look back at the six winners at the majors this year. It's written here on this paper, but if I had to say to you,
1: James name those six winners, how much difficulty would you have? <laughs> the I I would have to say, remembering that Ash won the Australian Open this year would have taken me a second. Because of her retirement, it, it does feel like she's of another time, right? Like it, it puts distance between us. She's retired and now wed. She just yeah. had her wedding. She and Gary, she and Gaza got married, looked gorgeous. Congratulations. At the Australian Open,
0: it was Ashbari and Rafael Nadal winning. Still can't comprehend that Nadal won that tournament mm-hmm. from that position.
1: And that final will be probably one of the most memorable of the past half decade.
0: At the French Open, Iga Świątek made good on her spring prowess, her spring results, her promise to take the baton from Ash Barty and run with it on the WTA Tour, backing up her 2019 French Open win. And then Nadal claimed the second leg
1: of the calendar year Grand Slam. At Wimbledon, we got a fairly surprising women's champion in Elena Rybakina and a very predictable, very reliable Novak Djokovic winning on the men's side for Mm -hmm. What, his seventh Wimbledon title? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's number seven. And that is... Uh, Probably for Roger Federer, a little too close for comfort.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which begs the question now, who is going to snatch the crowns at the U.S. Open?
1: Is is Big 2 hegemony going to continue? At this moment, Novak is not going to be allowed to play in the United States. Of course, that could change. I don't see it changing. But, you know, this has been a very unpredictable past few years. I think we need to be ready for all possibilities
0: there's a lot of time left for a lot of mess to descend on tennis
1: and it's it's start it's fomenting but uh so will big two or big one hegemony continue rafa has won the u.s open two of the last three times that he's played but can he really come back again for another time from injury
0: this season and can he come back this quickly Coming back after six months off to win the Australian Open. Coming back after hurting himself in Mexico, was it?
1: In In February. Oh, yes. The stress fracture in his rib. Then, of course, the the chronic foot problem that flared up really badly.
0: The French Open was uh, so in doubt, managed to come back and win that. And here he is again, after taping himself up to play Wimbledon and get to the semifinals... (laughs) having to take four to six weeks off. He's only just now starting to serve again. Can he do it one more time in this improbable season?
1: Is Iga Świątek going to restart that streak that she carried from hard courts into clay? She's won three big, big hard court tournaments this year, right? Do we have any reason to think that will stop? There are a lot of people coming back, not
0: just Rafa. There is Serena, there is Venus, there is Sofia Kennan, there is Taylor Townsend. These are just some of the the themes to look at as we talk about this current and upcoming hardcourt season.
1: So far during the North American swing, uh, last week we got Atlanta. We saw Alex Diemenauer beat Jensen Brooksby uh, 6-3, 6-3 in the final. This is Alex's sixth career title, his fifth on hardcourt. Brooksby, you know, he's been touted for a little while as potentially the next American number one. You know, somebody who has a different style game who can really break through. But he's at the same time he's also been plagued by these I guess these accusations of gamesmanship and the the charge that people in the locker room don't like him. It
0: certainly did not help his case when after he beat Francis Tiafo, he did
1: Francis's celebration in his face. Yes, which is LeBron James' celebration that Francis has been doing for a long time. It was tacky AF. And it it just is very strange. It felt so unnecessary. And I do think there's something about Francis that a certain... Hmm, how do I put this? <laughs> a certain type of player finds extremely annoying and provoking.
0: A player who is perhaps...
1: Devoid of
0: any swag, any personality, <laughs> any je ne sais quoi, any personality. A certain player who is as dull as a book.
1: Well, I will say that it was a pale imitation.
0: Well, I mean, not all books best. are dull. I should say that.
1: Dull as a book? Was that wow. the, What is the correct... I I have no idea where you were going with mm. that.
0: Dull, dull, dull,
1: dull, dull. <laughs> I don't need to compare it to anything else. <laughs> But the, you know, imitating the celebration just felt like this pointless provocation. And I don't really get where it came from. I mean, maybe they have some internal
0: beef uh, that we don't know about. Because maybe. that's the type of thing where you do it if you're coming for the king. With With all <laughs> respect to Francis Tiafoe, he's a very good tennis player. But he's not somebody that you should be like coming for and taking that much pleasure in... You know, it's just weird.
1: And after that, you saw some, only a few, I saw this a few times, like the, the Sinner fans who are now Brooksby fans. Mm, They're so predictable. uh, So predictable. I'm not going to say like, not all Sinner fans, hashtag not all Sinner fans. But there is this weird segment, right? That is like, oh, I never liked Brooksby until now. I'm like, okay, why? why?" Explain why in 1000 words or less.
0: Because there is history with Francis as well,
1: right? Exactly, yeah. Now, we're not really talking about the post-Wimbledon clay season. However, the UMAG final feels significant, right? We get Yannick Sinner and Carlos Alcaraz. Alcaraz is in his second straight final after losing to Musetti the week before. And these are obviously two of the guys who are poised or expected to take over the ATP Tour when the old men retire. Sinner beat Alcaraz 6-7, 6-1, 6-1, I believe. And it's a really good sign because I felt like Sinner was stalling just a little bit this season. Like he, He hasn't been poor, but I think his progress had plateaued a little bit. So I think this is probably a good kickstart for his season. Well, he's got Darren Cahill in his camp now.
0: Yeah. Obviously, these two, if you look at the the very next gen of the really young guys, this is the obvious quote-unquote rivalry. Hmm. And we've already gotten to see a
1: little bit already. Yeah, so those few weeks, I think, possibly showed what's to come. You know, we've got Demon Hour. Uh, winning a title, there's Musetti winning a title. Diminour, I believe, is a little bit older, but like this young crew, then Brooks Brooksby Swanson, these could be the young guys like battling it out over the next few years. Yeah. Current week, we're watching Washington D.C. It's a joint event. The San Jose tournament is WTA. We got Los Cabos for the men, and there's a WTA 125 in Romania.
0: At that D.C. tournament. We had Serena Williams descend upon the event, even though she's not playing. Right. Spark rumors. Is she going to get a? Is she playing doubles with Venus? No. Is this the first night that she spent away from Olympia? Because Olympia is in California with Daddy Alexis at a football game where she's the youngest owner in the history of sports. <laughs> and she's on the field and she's scoring goals and she's going to be a legend.
1: Already a legend. But you guys are amazing. Like, I don't know how you track Serena and Olympia's movements. I don't pay close enough attention. I feel like in this case it was very easy because they're social media. Right, but do I know if they've spent a night apart? No, I do (laughs) do not know that. (laughs) Serena was
0: here to get a lot of practice in. We saw footage of her practicing with Venus. Mm -hmm. And in that small sample size, it was a complete dragging where elder sister Venus ran her ragged.
1: Poor Serena. I mean. (laughs) We know, we know that Serena does not like to go all out and practice. She likes to stand and hit. Because we saw a couple other videos in other locations
0: where Serena is just, you know,
1: whoopsie daisies whoop doop -doop whoop-doop-doop-dee-doo. Right. And she may save those intense practices for behind the scenes, right, where the public can't see. I have no idea. But I would say post-pregnancy... The practices that she lets us see are not exactly all like practices. Whose or, practices or are? Or team-like, or you know, the, whose, whose practices are? Right. And at this age, girl,
0: I get it. If you're listening and you're one of those who's tempted, maybe like James here, to be talking all kinds of mess about what these forty-plus people are able to do physically in tennis, stop. Because I know what my body feels like at my current age. And I mean, I'm not a professional athlete, but I get a lot of steps in.
1: I had a couple hundred thousand last month. (laughs) Okay. All right. I'm not saying that they're not capable. I'm saying that what she is allowing us to see, those practices are hitting. I mean, you know, that's, it's not a lot of moving.
0: I'm just saying, I imagine there's a lot of body preservation.
1: Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of work in the gym, I'm sure. You mentioned uh, a little bit earlier players making comebacks during the season. And there's actually like a remarkable number of players who are on the comeback trail. Or, or, uh, you know, these days they're rebooting. It's not like a remake. It's a reboot. Or it's a return from hiatus. Don't call it a comeback. Where did I go? I've been here. (laughs) I was just taking a rest. So Serena descended upon Washington, D.C., probably because she now shares a coach with Venus. Oh, okay. So after days of you trying to figure out that
0: scenario and me telling you what the likely answer was, you're not going to present it on air like... No, I simply cannot remember who entered where. Oh, my God. I wasn't confused about... You were like, why Serena in DC? And then eventually I was like, well, it makes sense because they share a coach now and Venus Mm -hmm. is there and then they get to practice together. Even if Venus loses, they can still continue practicing together and then they go to Toronto together. I don't know if that's exactly true or if that's actually the reason why she was there, but I think that's the most
1: logical reason. Yes. So Serena was already playing Toronto. Venus just got a main draw wild card to Toronto. Uh, They'll be in Cincinnati as well. I. I don't know about Venus, Ve- No, Venus will be in Cincinnati. I don't know about Serena. Serena said she was playing both. Oh, so they'll both be in Cincinnati, right. well, then. Well, I mean, we'll see, of course, right? Yeah. Cincinnati sometimes suffers from those, like, post-Canada withdrawals, mm-hmm. depending on what's going on in the season.
0: So what you're saying is, the Williams sisters are together doing the greatest road trip in all of tennis. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, we, we shall see if they actually road trip, because... I do not want them to get the Taylor Swift treatment about these private jets because they are going in on that that woman. I mean, all these celebrities. Oh, you know. They so need to get got. Drake, Drake has been taking a lot of criticism at home. This is some Toronto culture for you. Uh, because uh, reportedly his private jet had been traveling between Hamilton and Toronto, which if you're not familiar, Hamilton and Toronto are about, what, 30 miles away from each other. It takes like 45 minutes to get there by car, right? At at the most. Like and from the airport at the
0: most. It's close enough <laughs> to where a few years ago one of the most popular things that a lot of Torontonians were doing was leaving the city, buying property cheaper in Hamilton and commuting.
1: Exactly. Yeah, so now Drake has said that he wasn't taking private jet flights between Hamilton and Toronto. The the jet was moving. It was being transported. Mm. like
0: relocated well let's ask anna marseille to get get on this story because (laughs) we know that she is uh, very
1: skilled at tracking flight paths yes forgive us if this episode feels a bit frenetic but we are going back to venus phonetic or frenetic frenetic venus played a match in washington lost in three sets to canadian rebecca marino what was your feeling about this match It was like any other Venus
0: Williams loss that I've watched in the last 10 years. I could have foreseen what was happening even before it did. Because I've lived it so many times. Mm. Venus wins the first set, predictably, slow out of the gate in the second set, loses it, gets up in the third, and then loses. All those years before she came all the way back in 2017, all those years trying to figure out showgirns in the early 2010s this is what a lot of her
1: losses look like yes like by like the the journey yes I can't
0: I can't explain to you like how familiar this felt
1: sure but what did you think about like how does she look how does she play
0: that's a different question one the mm-hmm. one that I'm happy to answer okay please do I think that it's the best I've seen Venus Williams move on a tennis court in years. Mind you, mm. she hasn't played much in the last two years with the pandemic and injury and what have you. But at certain points, she was moving like a dream. Like this is not a 42-year-old woman that I'm watching. Mm. That game where she served out the first set at 5-4, the opening point where she had the extended rally and then stretched out wide on the run to hit a blistering cross-court forehand winner... Come on. I mean, that that was just not to be believed.
1: And then... <laughs> and then. I mean, the, the game itself was messy, right? But I was really surprised that she was looking fit and quick on court. She's just turned 42. Right? Yeah. I mean, she's not injured at this point. Yeah. She was not wrapped. Because she had been playing injured, you know, the last few years when she could barely win a match she was playing injured pretty much the whole time all the time and then she showed up
0: at the 2021 australian open looked really good in the first couple of games and then against sarah irani oh god suffers yeah. that horrendous injury i know the service stats at the end of the match looked horrendous 13 <laughs> double falls but through the first set it looked pristine Mm-hmm. 10 fewer than Sabalank today. She had not served a double fault until she was serving for that first set at 5-4. And at one point, deep in that first set, her first serve percentage was 90%. Like, it was good. A lot of that first set was good. The first few games, scratchy from both. A lot of stuff didn't look good from Venus. But as that first set progressed, she picked her spots, put Marino under the pump to get the break. And close out the first set. I mean, for somebody who hadn't played in a year, it was incredibly encouraging, that first set. Mm -hmm. And then if you're to forget about the second, (laughs) and then you look at the first few games of the third set, where she goes up 4-1, not to win another game, but to go up 4-1, that too is encouraging. And so as Venus says, after that match, there's a lot of rust. How couldn't there be? A lot of rust. And so for as much as I feel like a lot of this match felt familiar, I think there is hope that on fast hard courts, Venus Williams can do some damage still.
1: Yeah, my impression was overall I felt like it was a success. I didn't expect a whole lot. Like, you don't know what to expect Um, after such a long layoff. She'll know exactly what needs to be worked on. Mm -hmm. She's clearly been putting in a lot of work in the gym and on her fitness, but playing a match is a totally different thing. So she needs to clean up the serve, as she knows. The ground strokes, when they're on, they're amazing. They're legendary. And when they're off, they're off.
0: Both her and Serena have said many times over the years that it is incredibly unprofessional to hit the ball into the net. (laughs) And in that sense Unprofession- it was a very professional performance from Venus because <laughs> I mean it was either inside the lines or well outside the I lines. I would
1: prefer to see it go long rather than hit the net. There were no, I mean I feel there were some weak, like into the net backhands in that match, but she did begin to hit out more. Because there I were mean, like no, there
0: a, were there were a lot of them were rhythm wise and being stretched. Mm-hmm. Especially earlier on in the match. Yes, that happened. Yeah. But as the match went
1: on, it was more less like a missing long. Mm-hmm. Marino has a great serve, though. Like, I'd be remiss if we did not mention that. Miss Canada RCMP? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how you made that association. <laughs> you feel she would be like a good RCMP I feel like officer? I I could see her in a Mountie uniform. That's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, mm-hmm. for those of yeah. you who don't know. Anyway. Another legend, well not quite legend yet, but Ellie Mandlik is the twenty one year old daughter of... Excuse me what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on my segues like Whoopi Goldberg okay. on the View. You know, she, oh. she took time, she needed time. Ellie Mandlik is the daughter of Hanna Mandlikova, who is a true legend of the game, who won four majors during that really difficult period where Navratilova and Everett were winning everything.
0: And Steffi Graf came on the scene
1: Yes, as well. So a true legend who I I really don't think gets enough respect. But her daughter, Elizabeth, or Ellie, Mm -hmm. based out of Florida, qualified for San Jose, beat Jill Teichman, beats Alison Risk in the first round, and takes Paolo Bedosa to a third set tiebreak. Great stuff. I mean, Mandlik has won seven titles on the ITF tour, but her only previous wins on WTA were in 2019, which were two qualifying wins at the Bronx Open.
0: I had not heard of her before this Mm. week. I am not ashamed to say, (laughs) but the results are incredible.
1: Yeah, so look out for more from her. I want to mention that both Simona Halep and Taylor Fritz retired this week with what appeared to be heat-related illness. The... If you've ever spent any time in the summer in Washington, D.C., you know the heat is oppressive. Along with the humidity, it is awful. And the decision by this tournament to start play at noon is kind of perplexing. And it harks back to something we talked about last week. You know, we were asked about climate change in tennis. How is the sport going to to adjust when these players are out in the sun all year in the middle of the day for a long time and there's no substitutions right it's just them they have to play the matches themselves and this is you know this is not great these players they train for this and they're still getting sick and uh tennis needs to adjust it needs to change schedules it needs to move indoors where necessary i don't know but like it is getting serious and will get worse Washington
0: just always seems to have some cataclysmic weather event happening. Do you remember all those years where there were the the torrential downpours? And the press room being flooded and...
1: Oh man, and you know, Cincinnati is similar in the summer. It gets these very unpredictable, wild thunderstorms amid really oppressive heat. If you are struggling to keep up with the... uh... How do I say Like this? the organization of the episode. Of this episode? episode you'd it's be,
0: fine. No, but you'd be, oh, you'd be right and yeah. justified in thinking that it's a mess. And you know, that's okay.
1: We're just, we're going along with it. But we always provide signposts. They can follow timestamps. That is true. I'm uh, not worried about it. <laughs> okay, she. <shit.
0: laughs> Let's move into a more full-on preview of the hardcourt season. Yeah. The tournaments that are upcoming next week. Canada, which is no longer the Rogers Cup But now the National Bank Open, which is an ATP and WTA event. The men will be in Montreal and the women will be in Toronto. There's also a 125K event in Concord the following week. I
1: believe it's pronounced Concord. It's New Hampshire. Really? Yeah, it's New England shit.
0: Well, that is your expertise. (laughs) I will defer. The following week, there's Cincinnati and then a Vancouver 125 And then the following week, the week before the U.S. Open, there's Winston-Salem, Granby, Quebec 250, and the Cleveland 250.
1: Cleveland again on the, the schedule this year. Yeah, so Cleveland was down in the flats along the Cuyahoga River, Contivate won last year. Did you know that Granby, Quebec got a 250 this year? I did, yes. Okay. I, when I was going through the tournaments, I noticed that what was formerly the U.S. Open series feels a little bit smaller than it was, right? There are two 1,000 tournaments back-to-back, and then there's a week right before the U.S. Open where there's a few places to play, but it it feels less like a huge road trip, I think. And it's a shame because there are fewer places to play, especially for eight, uh, WTA players. Just an observation.
0: We talked about the themes of this part of the season and obviously one of the big ones, the comebacks. We talked about Venus and Serena. We talked about Rafa. You have a concern that you've said to me privately that you're wondering if he's rushing back.
1: I am, you know, but that's up to him and his team and I'm not going to worry too much about it. But I don't want to skip past Rafa because I have a fun fact for you.
0: You do. I do. And for everybody. Indeed be fun.
1: I think so. It's (laughs) Interesting at least. Now, first of all, this is not the fun fact, but Rafa <laughs> won Canada the previous two times he played it. Correct, yes. He beat Tsitsipas, and then he beat Medvedev.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Medvedev went on to win Cincinnati right after that tournament. He's won Canada five times, mm-hmm. the second most ever behind Yvonne Lindel.
0: The clay court specialist has e- Exactly.
1: Won. And he won Canada in his breakout 2005 season, even. Like that early in his career.
0: And it doesn't even matter where in Canada it is, because he's <laughs> won it in Montreal,
1: yeah. and he's won it in Toronto. My fun fact is that the Canadian Open is actually the second longest running tennis tournament still in existence. It was founded in 1881 at the Toronto Lawn Tennis Club in Rosedale. I knew that. You did know that. Mm-hmm. Eight. I mean... So which is the oldest?
0: Wimbledon. Okay. The fun fact that I knew was that it's the longest or oldest tournament in North America.
1: Mm -hmm. And damn near the world. Mm -hmm. Is he rushing back? Uh, That is not for us to say, right? That's for his doctors and physical therapists to decide. Okay,
0: but there is a reason why you thought that.
1: Well, sure, because he only recently started overhand serving. That's a concern. If he has an ab tear, I just want to make sure it's fully healed Uh, he has had a lot of injuries this year in different places in the body so you know if he does come back you want him to be healthy enough to actually contend for the titles Mm
0: -hmm. i think the thing that is most at play with rafa right now is a sense of urgency Mm -hmm. to get in as many tournaments as he physically can if he's fit enough to do so right because he's 36
1: And I mean, the lure of winning three of four majors in a year is, I I can't imagine what it feels like.
0: I don't even know if it's that. I just know that he enjoys playing and winning. Mm -hmm. And clearly he knows he can play and win against almost anybody on the ATV tour at the moment if he's healthy enough. As far as, is he coming back too soon? Is he rushing it? I have, maybe this is stupid, but I have complete faith in his team to make that decision. I think where it becomes a problem is when Rafa gets into injury situations within a match. And then yes. there is no reasoning with him. Oh, no. If, no. if he has full control over what he'll be doing in that moment, he's going to play when he probably should. not
1: And even his family screaming for him to stop is not going to be a deterrent.
0: Right. So if it's a matter of, Practicing for weeks and seeing where your body is and then showing up to tournaments and then deciding, well, are we going to take this step? A collective team decision? I I feel
1: like that that will be a, a good decision, you know? Okay, <laughs> all right. We shall see. Another come comeback, not a comeback. Naomi Osaka has been dealing with this Achilles injury. Did not play Wimbledon. Is she coming back to snatch? She has been known to do this, to appear at hardcourt majors. uh Without a whole lot of preparation and kind of dominating the field. Well,
0: She told us that she wanted to diversify her portfolio this spring. That she was going to play more in clay. That she wanted to do well on grass. But then she got injured. Yeah. And that did not happen. It did not. Did did not. (laughs) And so now we're back again where Naomi is in a position to do damage on hard courts. And... If she wins the U.S. Open, that'll be five slams that she's won, equaling Maria Sharapova, you know? <laughs> Which is a wild... At that we, point, like, she already is, but at that point, you're getting into greats-of-the-game territory.
1: Yeah, not not many people have done this. No, uh, I, not many people have even won four. But at this point,
0: does it even matter that she doesn't have great results on the other two surfaces?
1: I mean, well, are you, for me personally, I, I would like some more diversity... I I like to stand players who are good on all surfaces, or at least can excel on one of the so-called natural surfaces. Maybe not both, but one.
0: So you're saying you were a big Pete Sampras fan?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi is similar to Medvedev in, in that sense, right? That Neither of them, at least so far, are the, the world's top grass or clay players.
0: Well, hold on. Medvedev was showing a lot of stuff on... Grass this okay. year. He all played right. all those tournaments before yep. the Wimbledon he knew he couldn't play. Mm-hmm. And it was like, Well, I'm gonna show you something.
1: Mm-hmm. Naomi had a good opening win in San Jose against Zhang Chinwen in three sets. She plays Coco Golf tonight, which by the time this episode is out, you will know mm-hmm. what happened. I'm really looking forward to we seeing it. We will be that. watching that. Yes. Another comeback, possibly, <laughs> is Sophia Kennan. Okay. This woman, if you recall, won the Australian Open in 2020, reached the Roland Girls final mm-hmm. in the same year, and then appendicitis, ingrown toenail, ankle injury this year. Daddicitis. D- daddy problems. A very mysterious personal life, shall mm-hmm. we say. And
0: nerve. Somewhat possibly problematic coaching or relationship. relationship
1: not coaching, but boyfriend or... A mess. It, very mysterious. The woman has been through it. So I do just ask you to be kind to Ms. Kennan. Uh, but she did play an exhibition against Coco Golf. It was in Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm it was not good not great bob no it, it was actually was not. extremely bad and i i do not want to be mean i'm not saying that to be mean but it was a little bit alarming and that could be explained she said she was dealing with nerves uh, her first actual main draw match was better
0: she took a first Definitely set to a better. tie break. yes
1: but that exhibition was a little bit alarming. And so I just hope that Sophia is getting support in her personal life and that she can return to the type of tennis player that she should be. Because you've got to remember what she was at one point. Taylor Townsend. Her baby Aiden is over a year old now. And she is back by popular demand. She won two matches in DC. One qualifying, one main draw. Then lost to Kazatkina. And then another sort of comeback, not comeback, is I think that the Russians and the Belarusians are going to be very hungry. Yes. Because they I, they certainly feel hard done by, by what happened at Wimbledon. Uh, but I think a lot of the players are going to be on a mission to salvage their season, to make a point, to just get back on track, because that had the potential to be really uh, a true derailment the person who will probably be in the mood to fuck something
0: up tonight (laughs) is Daniil Medvedev. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean,
0: when is he not? But But... I'm saying this will give extra motivation.
1: (laughs) Yes. So those are the comeback kings and queens. Mm -hmm. Now, who have been the reliable, hardcourt kings and queens over the past few years? Mm -hmm. If
0: you recall that COVID summer in 2020 it was Naomi Osaka and Victoria Azarenka. Yep. And that was it. <laughs> right? Right. And Vika's back, winning her first match looking regal. Naomi looked good in her first match. So I I I think that it's reasonable to expect these folks with hard court prowess to continue in that vein.
1: All right. So we've let's we'll start with the women. So we got Naomi, we've got Vika, of course, Iga Won Doha, Indian Wells, Miami all in a row earlier this year. She lost on grass, lost on clay in Warsaw. We'll be looking to get that dominance back on track. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at Contivate, she started her magic streak in Cleveland last year.
0: On Anshabur, while not a hardcourt specialist by any stretch, she's probably the most accomplished all-court player in women's tennis right now, based on her results over the last two years. This could be an opportunity for her to level, level, level up.
1: <laughs> yeah, so her hardcourt credentials are kind of still cooking. I would say they're still to be determined. Her best recent results were a finals appearance in Chicago. She was a semi-finalist in Indian Wells last year. So it's it's kind of a we shall see. A couple of the players who do well in hard courts are injured.
0: Bianca Andreescu played this past week and said she had back problems in her first match. That's she, not good.
1: It's not good, but she said she will be playing in Toronto. Uh, Kenan, we've already mentioned, is a recent winner of a hard court slam.
0: Leila Fernandez said she was planning to come back in Washington after suffering that hairline fracture in her foot. Could not do it. Her summer is kind of up in the air right now. Of course, if you recall, she's the U.S. Open finalist from last year. Danielle Collins, another hard court warrior,
1: also injured. She will not be playing in Toronto. No. She won San Jose last year. She was, of course, the runner-up in Australia earlier this year. And then to some other players to watch, Sabalenka, of course... She is going to be looking to avenge that loss in the semifinals in the U.S. Open. Got, had a little bit of a rough start t- today, but she won. W- what's important is that although she hit 23 double faults, she still won. Mm. And this was the story of the beginning of her season. The serve was a mess, right? But she was managing to power through. And sometimes that's all you can ask.
0: Belinda Bancic. Mm-hmm. As much as we are
1: regretful in positing <laughs> and offering her. as <laughs> You gotta talk about her. She won the Olympics last year on hardcourt. Amaretta Kanu, the defending U.S. Open champion in the quarterfinals in D.C. It'll be interesting to see what she does, especially with a new coach, which we'll talk about later.
0: Coco Goff, somebody who can play on all surfaces. And after making the French Open final at 18 years old now, is primed in the perfect spot for a big, big bust out moment.
1: Right. Of of course, the tennis world has been watching Coco very intently since she was like 13 years old. And ever since her breakout in Wimbledon, she's actually taken a kind of a steady approach to tennis. Like she's built slowly. The massive results haven't come Maybe when everybody wanted them to. But she was the runner-up at her first major this year. She's absolutely killing it on TikTok. And she just seems a natural impress. Like, she gives great answers, but they actually feel like she's a real person. Authentic. Yeah. And for someone her age, I can't... I'm trying to remember what it was like to be... What is she, 18 now? Mm -hmm. When I was 18, I don't think that I could speak that fluently... ...about any issue, especially in public. I I just don't know what it's like. It's just really impressive. But
0: she's doing it better than damn near everybody else. (laughs) Right.
1: And it doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel like she was groomed to be this person. If she starts winning slams soon... ...this
0: could be one of the biggest stars in all of sport. Yeah. Period. Point blank. Mm -hmm. That's how complete a player, a
1: personality, she is. Yeah. Gotta mention my girl Daria Kazatkina. Mm -hmm.
0: This is now now a Dasha
1: Kazatkina stand podcast. It is. Did you know that she's sixth in the race this year? And that comes down to consistency. She is is your Maria Sakari
0: this year. Do you remember the time we were at Starbucks in Mason, Ohio? I must have gotten some... Starbucks Iced lemonade or something, and we're just sitting outside, and here she comes, opening the door. Really? Yes. I don't remember that at You all don't well. remember that? No. Yeah, we saw Kazakina in the <laughs> wild, in Mason, I mean, Ohio.
1: I've seen her play in Cincinnati, but I don't remember encountering her IRL. We saw her from a safe distance. Yeah, weird. Dasha beat Elena Rabakina, the Wimbledon champ, in her first match in San Jose. Then Taylor Townsend, now she's going to play Arena Sabalenka. So watch out, world, on the men's the the hard court kings. And I hate to call most of these men kings because there's a few problematicals that we're a forced few? to talk about. A <laughs> few But let's start with Andre Rublev, truly the king of the five hundreds. And how many of those will he get to play for the rest of well, I know, the hardcourt you know, season. You know, <laughs> He was uh, the runner-up in Cincinnati last year. Gotta look out for Andre. Zverev was the winner in Cincinnati, and Zverev is probably not going to be playing anytime soon. So what you're saying is a lot of points will be falling off his... Yes, but we're in a very dangerous period where Medvedev's performance over the next week or so is truly important because Zverev, who is sidelined, can possibly take over the number one ranking.
0: And this will be one of the themes of the hardcourt season on the men's side. The number one ranking. Mm -hmm. Through the rest of the year, Rafa has accumulated so many points to start the year. Novak is going to be absent for a good portion of it. Zverev is out injured. Medvedev has
1: points to defend as well. Rafa has no points to defend in this part of the season. Who's going to be number one? This season is Medvedev's bread and butter. So I don't see any immediate reasons why he can't continue doing that. And Zverev, as much as we don't like talking about this man, he is a big impediment to folks on hardcourt, right? He won Cincinnati last year. Like, he's a major factor. He's an impediment, period. <laughs> yes. For many reasons. Yes. Uh, Yannick Sinner. Just won on clay, of course. But he was the Washington DC champ last year. Uh, Stefano Stizibas. I know that a lot of people feel that his year has been disappointing, but he is number three in the race. Like, this is another matter of consistency. That said, he hasn't won a hardcourt tournament since 2020. Right. Last year, I think his summer hardcourt season was plagued by that bathroom break controversy, by the accusations of cheating by Zverev. And that, I do think, was a dark cloud over him through the U.S. Open and probably affected his play and just his mentality. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens this season. The big name that we haven't talked about,
0: who has to be talked about at this point, on any surface, Carlos
1: Alcaraz. What can you say about this man at this point? He's your new ATP number four. He won Miami. He's a semi in Indian Wells, losing to the likes of Rafa et al. He makes two
0: finals back-to-back weeks loses those finals and it's seen as somehow a disappointment Mm. that's how far he's progressed in his career at such a short time and so if rafa is healthy and medvedev is ready these three are the ones that will dominate the headlines i think this hardcourt swing
1: Mm -hmm. and it's clear that alcaraz will break through sooner than later at a major is it this U.S. Open? I don't know. Like, this is probably a very good opportunity. But I do think that he still has some learning to do over best of five matches. Some other people who are going to be factors. Maxim Cressy, uh, Riley Opelka. Francis. Is Opelka going to be a well, factor? He was last year. There's no denying it. Mm. Francis Tiafo, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Felix, still a top 10 player. He's playing in Los Cabos this week. And Nick Kyrgios. Mm. Nick says that he's committed to the sport that he's been uh, kind of propelled by this surprise runner-up finish at Wimbledon. We shall see. Or propelled by the pending court case. Perhaps. Novak Djokovic. We haven't mentioned him yet. Where will we see him this fall? This right. spring, summer, September? <laughs> He has officially pulled out of Toronto, which means that it's not going to shake up the draw. It'll allow someone else direct entry because the draw hasn't been made yet. But at the moment, he is not allowed to enter the United States as a foreign national without a vaccine. We know this. We have U.S. politicians who, for political expediency and virtue signaling, uh, You know, I hate this term virtue signaling, but this is exactly what it is campaigning for Biden to change the vaccination rules for Novak Djokovic. Out here on Twitter issuing tweets left,
0: right and center saying this is an abomination that Joe Biden will not allow Novak Djokovic to play the U.S. Open. And I am petitioning Joe Biden directly (laughs) to rectify this
1: grave miscarriage of justice. They don't know who Novak Djokovic is. They probably don't even know that he just won Wimbledon. But uh, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, who I have to tell you this, this is too funny. uh, She is actually the congressperson for someone very close to me. And I don't want to expose that person because maybe they don't want their location leaked. But she is the congresswoman for New York, 22nd District, Central New York. And she's... I mean, she's on the Djokovic train. Biden, tear down this wall. Meanwhile, Djokovic
0: is out here saying, oh my God, I've never known a love like this before. Who knew that I had this support? He is
1: channeling his Stephanie Mills. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's stunt after stunt after stunt. He's directly engaging with this shit. He's since followed Claudia Tenny,
0: Right? <laughs> and as TikTok Tennis points out on Twitter, this is a very deliberate action. He follows a sparse number of people on social media. Mm. And this is now one of them. And the through line is that you have to show your support. You have to kiss the ring. And once you've shown your loyalty to
1: Djokovic, he will follow you. He will... I'm not going to bore you all with my opinion on this No, it's just no like, no 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 bore more no, away bore away because i've said it many times like but people live for this if you know if like... you are going to challenge the the ban the vaccine rules on immigration he is he's not it he's not the poster boy okay this man has made antisocial decisions throughout the pandemic we've seen he's repeatedly made bad decisions that potentially endanger many other people Mm -hmm. so why are you going to the mat for him and we know we know like because the politicians who line up in his corner are people like nigel farage farage however you say it Mm. uh claudia tenney republicans in the united states who vote against same-sex marriage who love assault weapons i mean look at these people's voting records it's also predictable, right? And it's politi- it's people who have politicized the vaccine from day one.
0: You know who is another one? And somebody who has just taken a Miley Cyrus-sized wrecking ball to his <laughs> image, in
1: my estimation? Mm. John Milman. Okay. Don't look at me like that. I mean, the man has COVID. Just, I, I genuinely... Well wishes to that I man. I genuinely... Hope that he's fine. Well wishes he, to that man and, and his he health better. and
0: his recovery. But multiple things can be true. He's out here tweeting, I'm out with COVID. And I first read this and I'm like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. But then he uses this opportunity to go on and say, I was just in the States and it didn't really feel like too many were following any recommendations or guidelines there, which is fine. But therefore, I can't see why at Joker Nole can't come and compete.
1: I'm not getting how this is the conclusion. But, and also, it's not fine. <laughs> right? Like, the fact that nobody is taking precautions in the U.S. No, actually, it's not fine. No, it's not. I, ju- I just don't, I don't really follow the logic on this one. If anything, it should be, we should be taking more precautions because I just literally got sick. Right. With co- I, don't, I just don't understand. He, quote, tweets himself and
0: says, let me be clear. If everyone in the country was following guidelines, then I'm all for them enforcing a vax entry policy. But from what I saw, pretty much no one was. The tournament allows non-vax citizens
1: to play, and only 30% have had a booster. And you know what? You're on the verge of the point. Yeah. The tournament should require these things for everybody. Yeah. The fact that they're not is not an argument in Djokovic's favor. You are maybe exposing a hypocrisy, but that doesn't mean that it's correct. How do you think we got these variants? Because the virus was allowed to flourish.
0: And then you know how that...
1: Who, who allowed the virus to flourish?
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. St- I'll stop. <laughs> and then you know how those previously left terminologies have been co-opted and weaponized. Of course, yeah. He then follows this playbook now. He issues another tweet oh, yeah. that says... Twitter is full of people having all types of opinions on different matters, but when an athlete has an opinion on something that is not to do with their sport, they are told to quote, stick to
1: sport. Oh, shut up and dribble. This is not this is a not... shut up and dribble moment. Uh, you're allowed to have your opinion. As as am I. Like no, I'm sure people like made nasty comments and said like, shut up, you're just a tennis player. I don't agree with that. I believe you should you should have the space to have your opinion.
0: But in this instance, People can your opinion push is
1: trash. <laughs> and, you know, that's my right to say that. And that's your right to say that I'm stupid. Like, it goes back and forth. I would never say shut up and dribble. I don't believe that. No. I should hope you all know that. <laughs> listeners.
0: Dear listeners.
1: <laughs> all right. I was just casually going through our Spotify uh, episodes. And a lot of them have this little, I learn more about COVID-19 here. I saw but that. But why does... I guess not every episode has it. Like, they must be uh, tied to and whatever we... An algorithm? We, well, maybe whatever we put in the description, the timestamps. Like, if there's oh. text about COVID or whatever. I did see that just <laughs> last night. <laughs> so this episode, will probably get that flag, learn more about COVID-19 <laughs> here. It's not. This episode is not about COVID. So we are moving on. I did mention Medvedev earlier holding on to the number one ranking. I just want to point this out. The guy has won 12 hardcore tournaments since 2018, eight times a runner-up at Hardcourt tournaments, and comparing to other players in that same period, Djokovic won 11, Uh, Zverev won nine hardcore tournaments, Rafa won seven hardcore tournaments. So Medvedev is currently the most, really the most reliable hardcore player in the game, right? I, I would say so. Novak, of course, Wins big ones. He wins Australian Opens, but Madrid Evans now the U.S. Open. Oh, De- the shade of that! Whoa. He wins Australian Opens, but not U.S. Opens. Well, I'm not. Be- that's not shady. He hasn't won the U.S. Open <laughs> in a minute. It's been a little while.
0: No, but it is one of the the stats that okay. Rafans hang their hat on. I guess that, that was just Nadal, second nature. To that me. Nadal has won more U.S. Opens than the so called hard king.
1: Fair enough, but. Nine. The deserved. What is it? Nine Australian Opens? Like that. The deserved yeah. moniker of Hardcore King. Deserved. Yeah. But that is still a fact. You mentioned like the number one ranking is within reach for a few people. And Nadal is definitely one of them. If he is healthy, he has nothing. It's all gravy at this point. He didn't even play Wimbledon last year. So it's just points added to his ranking. Now, the coaching carousel
0: situation.
1: Yeah, normally not super interested in, in the coaching carousel. Well, you are clearly but...
0: very interested in this well, one because typically I'm the one who starts the Google Doc for the next episode <laughs> and shares it with you. And maybe two days after our last our last mailbag episode, I get this email. James Rogers has shared a document with you. <laughs> like, mm. what what is this? Lo and behold, it's episode two seventy-two, and the impetus for that is this bit of news. From Kanu, that she's
1: working with Dmitry Tursunov, and you know what the what the real impetus was was not the news itself; it was the the tenor of coverage around it. The mess from the British press. The mess. Right? So Emma has hired Dmitry Tursunov, who is Russian. He is a a very accomplished coach, uh, coaching Sabalenka to the top ten, uh, coaching most recently. Annette Kontivate, through that incredible run in the fall, he is highly sought after, right? So Emma is entering this trial period with Tursunov, and she was pilloried. She was absolutely slammed by a lot of the British press. Clickbait. It's a lot of clickbait. Yes, but there are actual MPs. In the UK, who are criticizing this choice, who are saying this is a Russian propaganda coup, that the Kremlin will use this, and it will be a, quote, real shame if Emma goes ahead with this. And this goes
0: back to your point on a few episodes back, where you, you said that there is a, a distinct relationship between the All England Club and British government.
1: yes. And the Lawn Tennis Association specifically, yes. um, but there in the British press, there's also like a there is a very clear agenda to to criticize the Russian government, which I I understand, but this is not necessarily criticizing the rest, the Russian government. This is criticizing a British player for hiring a Russian man who's a very good tennis coach, who has you know has nothing to do with the Kremlin, but the Kremlin will. Of course, use any bit of news-ass propaganda. But to go after Emma for this, I personally think is unfair. I think is ridiculous. One of the questions
0: that arises now is, will he be able to travel? And this was one of the main reasons
1: why he and Contivate split. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yes. He, I mean, he will probably have trouble getting visas. As long as this war goes on, which is a real concern. Tomaini Carryall wrote for The Guardian, like, one of the few kind of measured, reasonable takes on the whole situation, which I appreciate. It's just unfortunate that Emma is getting harshly criticized for this choice when I just, you know, this this feels like the British government's position on hiring anyone from Russia, from allowing any person from Russia to flourish in their chosen field... It's just annoying.
0: Okay, you've said a lot about this already,
1: but you still haven't gone to the part that really tickled you. Oh. (laughs) What was funny is that Dimitri made comments after the U.S. Open that were pretty critical of Raducanu's approach to coaching, I guess. He said, quote, There is such a term as coaching carousel when coaches go in a circle. Now Emma Raducanu, who won the U.S. Open, is laying off the people she worked with If someone from her team called me now and asked if I wanted to train her, I would tremble with fear because you don't know when you will be fired. (laughs) Correct. You don't know. And maybe
0: he's in a position where she's the only one who would hire him right now because (laughs) he can't
1: travel that many places. Right. And he is he's being or he was a little harsh because her coach during that period was not under contract. Right. That was also a trial period.
0: Right, and it's been said that that coach did not expect to be her long-term coach. That was a mutual agreement. But again, mess. Hashtag mess.
1: It's just, it's funny that she hired him after he said that. Now, some of you may be wondering,
0: what are James and Jonathan going to be doing tennis-wise the rest of the year? Are they? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) We do have some tennis plans. Of course, tennis is coming to our front door With the National Bank Open starting Monday. Mm -hmm. And we will be going. I will be going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for sure. Maybe Thursday. Don't know. We'll see what happens. Still got to work that week because at the end of the month, I will be in Flushing Meadows at the U.S. Open for a couple rounds of qualifying through the first two rounds of the tournament. You will not be there.
1: I will not. But I will be in Toronto because I live here. Uh, I will <laughs> make the arduous journey up to the northwest corner of the city, uh, up to York University. We've really got to talk about the site in Toronto. Mm. It's just not. It's not giving what needed to be gave. It's <laughs> not that girl. It is like the players are staying in the Hilton downtown
0: Toronto. Well, there are two locations. There's the, They can stay in Markham or they can stay in downtown. Okay.
1: Let me tell you. Both Hiltons. I guess that's something. uh, If you need to take a car from downtown Toronto to York University during the day... Plan accordingly. Good luck to you, babe. Plan accordingly. (laughs) I mean, I remember
0: one time I said something on Twitter about how the Toronto site is trash compared to Montreal. (laughs) And that the experience from a fan perspective, from a player perspective, is just so much better in Montreal and a certain member of tennis media.
1: Oh. Was yes. like
0: How dare you? Ridiculous. How
1: dare you. Ridiculous. And outrageous statement, sir. The experience in Toronto is is really good. Like one once you're on site, you know it's pretty compact. You can see a lot of tennis. You get close to players because they're either walking through crowds, crowds or driving their golf carts through crowds. Yeah, I mean, that's so, not
0: unique to Toronto. Uh, sure. Most sure. tennis tournaments are like that.
1: It's just that it's, it's not convenient.
0: I'm just it's- saying, if you think you're coming to Toronto to watch tennis and you're like, oh my god, yes, let's go to Toronto and watch tennis. We'll watch tennis and then we have the city. Mm. You need to do some planning, girl, because... <laughs> the- <laughs>
1: The, well, the subway over the past few years, uh, I believe in twenty nineteen, was extended mm-hmm. to York University, so you can get there. It'll take you a little while, but it'll take you an hour from
0: the downtown core. Sure, but
1: you'll get there. It's it's much better than it was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is not a deterrent. Like I've we've been going to the Toronto tournament since seven uh, two two thousand seven seven a long time. Like. It's cool. You get to see the best players in the world up close. like, And it's inexpensive as far as tennis tournaments go. I heard the food got a major upgrade it's this year. It's more expensive
0: this year. Fair. I can say that.
1: Okay, but everything is more expensive. Well, I will say if
0: you are listening and you want to buy tickets and you maybe you don't want to pay full price, DM me. I can hook you up with a promo code because <laughs> the Toronto tournament always has promo mm. codes. I can get you one. Opening day,
1: 50% off. (laughs) Don't overpromise now. So that's our our hardcore schedule.
0: Following up on our announcement that we are selling pet products, pet merchandise, we now have bucket hats. TBS times bucket hats. Sloane Stevens's influence. Her signature look. So head to... uh, or Linktree at linktree.com slash serve. You'll find links to all that stuff. Get your pet merchandise, get your bucket hats, all that good stuff.
1: Now, I've been wanting to talk about Beyoncé basically all day for the whole episode. Somebody asked us during the mailbag, you know, when Renaissance is released, please give us your review. And this is not so much a review as an appreciation. <laughs> I've been going through the album a lot, and i i find it rewards repeat listens i i feel like the songs are very dense there's a lot going on sonically there are a lot of influences and samples and interpolations that i didn't recognize but i sort of read about and i wasn't uh i'm not a huge expert in dance music Mm -hmm. i really wasn't like that's i think you can take away the huge it, right, dance music is like not where my passions lie. You mean it, you, you? mean you weren't going to circuit
0: parties in your twenties?
1: <laughs> right. But I, I mean, I love disco. Yes, I love certain types of dance music, but house music. When the single "Break My Soul" came out, like, oh, is this gonna be a house album. I don't know anything about house. Do I start to study now or?
0: <laughs> but this is why Cuffit is that girl. Cuffit yes. Cuff on the very first listen, Cuffit was my favorite. And after three or four listens since, it remains my favorite. There are. F- I'm in the mood <laughs> to fuck something up
1: tonight. <laughs> there are a few disco songs on the album. Cuff it is one of them, and Virgo's Groove is the other. Cuff it is. It's really giving you like earth, wind, and fire horns. It's just like a roller disco song. It's so great. But I feel through the album what Beyonce is giving you is this, it's almost like a survey course in black dance music, right? She's taking you through New Orleans with Bounce, through her hometown of Houston, Atlanta, New York, of course. There are a ton of influences from Ballroom on the album. And then the centerpiece... It's a gay album. It is. But it's a black queer album, Yes, is what it is. The centerpiece, the the house single, Break My Soul, is this meld of Big Frida from New Orleans and House which originated in the Midwest in Detroit and Chicago in black gay spaces right she's even got Minneapolis this amazing sample from Vanity 6 that song nasty girl that was written by Prince she takes you to Kingston Jamaica for a little while we've we're in Lagos Nigeria one of my favorite
0: moments is when she samples the Clark Sisters And the night of the release, hours before the release, Twinkie Clark takes to Twitter and sits down in front of her. Was it an organ? You know, I'm not really good Mm -hmm. at these instruments. Sits (laughs) down in front of her organ and says, you know, thank you, Beyonce, for using our song. And then she goes on to sing it. Sing Center Thy Will, which is a gorgeous song, which you should definitely look up. And the song that Beyonce is singing is called Church Girl." And it's sampling probably the greatest slash most successful gospel group in history Mm -hmm. on this song that's imploring women to fuck up a storm before going to church the next morning. It's a thought song. You be twerking all night and bleaching before getting to church for 10 (laughs) a.m. on Sunday morning.
1: To be clear... Can you just say what bleaching means in Patwell? Okay, so in this instance, bleaching
0: means staying up all night, get, not getting any sleep. Yes. It has a completely different meaning as well. Yeah. Which, that's not what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> but then, I wonder what Miss Twinkie Clark thought when she actually listened to the Thought song. Well. It took no shortage of chutzpah for Beyonce to <laughs> entitle that song Church Girl. And sample that song.
1: That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, maybe Ms. Clark did not listen. Or if she did, she did not care. I think the main takeaway is that we all contain multitudes. Twinkie Clark is now in Aruba with that Beyonce money. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the This album, it plays like an extended DJ set. Each track melds into the next one very
0: fluidly. The first time I listened to it, The transition between Cuff It and Energy, I did not know what was happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I actually stopped Energy because I was like, how long is this song? And then (laughs) I was like, when did
1: I start listening to this song? And when did the last one end? Like being in a club, it sort of lulls you into forgetting which song is on. Uh, They bleed into each other. It creates this kind of euphoria that you can only feel in that environment right like I'm thinking of these basement parties do, like these do you small remember clubs what and, that's like uh, at this point vaguely <laughs>
0: <laughs> when was the last time right? you went clubbing but uh, pride 2019
1: yes probably <laughs> but uh I don't know. it's just it's given me a real appreciation for the craft of putting together a lot of influences and creating something new. Like, this is pastiche, right? This is what postmodernism is. It's about acknowledging that there's nothing new under the sun. And I'm going to very transparently grab from many different influences, credit them, be open about it. Overcredit. And, overcredit Overcredit. Them. And create something new and gorgeous and exciting. And in, in some instances, euphoric. Um, and maybe... You know, we may not be ready for that post-pandemic euphoria phase because we are still mid-pandemic, but that's what she's going for. I want to call out... Uncle Johnny? Uncle Johnny made that dress. That, yeah, this is just such a love letter to queer culture and especially Black and Latino queer and trans culture. It just, it feels really emotional. It feels really personal. I love the inclusion of T.S. Madison Of all of these icons from the ballroom scene. Grace Jones. Grace Jones, who criticized Beyonce in her memoir, and said she wouldn't work with any of these pop girls, because what would that give Grace Jones? (laughs) You know? (laughs) And I want to talk about plastic off the sofa for a second, just because I just, you know, you pick out certain things that speak to you. There's this... I mean, the title is very black. And interestingly, very Italian-American. Oh, Y'all did that too? Yes! <laughs> and you know, a lot of these Italians go on Henry Louis Gates' show and find out that they're black. Mm. At least partly.
0: Joe Manganiello? What's his name? <laughs> From True Blood.
1: Yeah, yeah. Apparently he's not not even one drop a tail. <laughs> <laughs> That's that Sicily stuff going on. <laughs> so anyway, plastic off the sofa. The beat. Did anyone recognize this beat from Too High by Stevie Wonder. It's the first track on Inner Visions. It's this driving jazz fusion beat. And then toward the end, she starts to do these very controlled vocal runs that sound like a shout chorus. And it reminded me of the shout chorus in Sir Duke, which I'm not gonna sing, but if you know it, you know it. And it just shows what versatility she's capable of with her voice. I just, I love that song. It's so, it's Stevie Wonder everywhere. I saw a tweet
0: this past week that said, Stevie Wonder is the single greatest and most influential artist in the history of music. And when I read it, I was like, well, let me go check out these replies because I know there's some Gaga fan who is just (laughs) really, really (laughs) pressed. And it's a credit to Stevie Wonder that it was all kind of like, well, even if I don't necessarily agree... Kudos to that man.
1: Yeah, pretty good take. Like, prove them wrong.
0: <laughs> talking Book is just... Well,
1: Talking Book is my everything. There aren't everything.
0: superlatives enough to really and capture and describe what that
1: album is. Mm. So, I don't know if, if Plastic Off the Sofa was uh, an intentional Stevie Wonder reference, but I heard him all over the song. I heard Earth, Wind & Fire, Cuff It. Obviously, you hear Prince and Vanity Six on, what is it, the penultimate track with the Nasty Girl sample. Nasty Girl is such a gay fave. It's a drag queen lip-syncing fave. And for it to meld right into I Feel Love, which is potentially one of the most influential pop songs ever, at the very least, one of the most influential dance tracks in history, it represents this break where Donna Summer, the queen of disco, is moving into like the electronic sound, right? Like it's synthesizers whereas disco often used these lush orchestras, live instruments in the studio. It it really like created the 1980s sound before the 1980s. It's an amazing song. But for her to reference it directly. Cool. It's mm-hmm. amazing.
0: Uh it's 16 tracks long. I think it's maybe two or three tracks too long. Nothing is perfect. Okay. I don't, I don't like the first song. I'll skip the first song. Nothing is perfect. Yeah. I think in this day and age, 16 songs is just a bit much on an album.
1: But it, it's about an hour, right? It's, it's an, hour an hour and two of minutes. Music.
0: Yeah. We need a happy medium between Renaissance and Caution. 10 songs and 16 songs. <laughs> Which is
1: why I've always
0: felt that 14 is perfect. 14 is perfect.
1: Yeah, but uh, Renaissance is a... Uh, it's damn near perfect.
0: Well, I, for one, have not released my job, and it's getting late. Have you released your trade? I have not. (laughs) (laughs) And we need
1: to go edit this and watch Coco Naomi. Correct. All right. Thank you for listening to our hardcore preview. Or scattered, all over the map, mess of an episode. I hope you felt the energy.
0: Because you've been in a good mood today. Yeah,
1: it's unusual. Enjoy it while it lasts. Uh again, thanks for listening to the body serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. You can find Wait, us- you cut I'm Elliot at Elliot JMR. Oh, that's right. Two L's, two Ts. Two Ts. You're- on Twitter. On Twitter. Yeah. You're Jonathan. And I am at tennis underscore John. Vince is snoring in the corner. He is at Vince the Beagle on Instagram. He's also at Heavily Medicated right now. <laughs> Our only salvation. The uh, 60,
0: almost 16 years old and uh, living through a pandemic as an already anxiety ridden Beagle. It's, it's been, it's been a journey, Mm -hmm.
1: but uh, nothing seemingly will kill him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That sounded very morbid and that we're wishing for him to die, but that's not the case. But
1: uh, he's been through a lot and uh, he's still here. (laughs) Anyway. Till next time. Okay, we move to Spanish because that's (laughs) bullshit. (laughs) Thank you very much.